Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of Agile Coffee. My name is Victor Bonacci, and you can reach me on Twitter at Agile Coffee. I want to invite you to become part of the conversation by using the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. Join other listeners like Jocelyn, who had something to say about training from our last episode. Before we move into today's session, I'd like to introduce you to an upcoming event, Agile Games Day San Diego. It's going to be held Friday, April 8th at the Marina Village Conference Center in San Diego. It's going to include a lot of different games that you would think of, uh, Lego Serious Play, Agile Improv, and then others such as uh, Sudokuban, Agile Games Marketplace, Agile Pictionary, The Empathy Toy, and much more. Your hosts, Paul Winia, who's at Work Agile, and Zach Boniker uh, will be there. You can find out more information by going to www.agilegamesday.com. And now I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine, Mr. Deep Thought. How are you, Mr. Deep Thought? Good evening. Uh, good evening, uh, old Deep Thought. Uh, uh, do you have... Um, An answer for you? Yes, I have. There really is one. To the great question of life, the universe, and everything. Yes. Now you ready to give it to us? I am. Now? Now. Wow. The answer to everything. Yes? Life, the universe, and everything. Yes? 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 You know that. Welcome to another episode of the Agile Coffee Podcast. This is episode 42, and we're glad you're back with us. Uh, today, I am happy to be joined by a number of people who've been here before, but never together. This is the first time we're all together. So we've got um, Colleen Kirtland. Welcome, Colleen. Hello. Colleen can be found on Twitter at CS Kirtland. Larry Lawhead. Hi, Vic. It's great to be here. Good to have you back, Larry. Larry's on Twitter, at Larry Lawhead, and Brett Palmer. Hi, Vic. Brett is joining us again. It's been a while, Brett. It's good to be back. Brett can be found on Twitter, at Brett underscore Palmer. So our first card is a topic that I put up there, and it simply says, what is the meaning of life? And if you haven't guessed already, it's because this is episode number 42, and who knows the connection between... (laughs) The Checkers Guide to the Galaxy... That's correct. The Hitchhiker's Guide. So Douglas Adams had The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and the meaning of life was 42. And here we've lasted 42 episodes. So I wanted to start off with something a bit unusual for for the Agile Coffee podcast, but not completely off the tracks. What is the meaning of life? So for me, I'm, I'm feeling more and more that the meaning of life and my approach to life in the workplace is that um, whatever happens, happens for a reason. So it sounds a lot like the um, the principles from open space format. So whatever happens, happens. It's supposed to happen type of a thing. Whoever we meet are who we are supposed to meet. And um, if I can boil it down to one word for me, that's um, probably happiness. And when I say happiness, it's meaning of just being finding the happiness in the moment, being present and being content in the moment and whatever happens just accept it and roll with it so that's me that's my meaning of life 
Hey, hi, this is Brett. And for me, the meaning of life is to grow and evolve ourselves. So we know that the universe is expanding. And so like the universe, we should be expanding ourselves. And um, I believe the way that we would do that would be through, you know, balancing our karma and, you know, learning how to selflessly serve others. So when I think of uh, the meaning of life, I uh, when I think of the meaning of life, I think of three things: people, places, and things. Uh, people, because we can't live without people. We are integrated. We are people. 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 It's like no man is an island. No matter how you see it or how you want to see it, we need each other. Um, I love my family. For example, I'm terribly in love with my wife still after 36 years of being married, and I couldn't live without them. Just hanging out is the greatest thing in the world, and not just with my family, but with my friends or this podcast or the Agile community. It's a, it's a great thing. Places, you know, places define oftentimes how we think as people. So if you understand the, where you've been, where I've been, then we understand each other a little bit better. Places do define who we are. And then things, I see things as uh, not necessarily to have, but things as indications of how far we've come as a human as a human race, you know, like like you said, the the evolving universe. It's like these are like almost benchmarks, like the Tesla, for example. You know, like wow, that, I think that's really a great leap forward. I say the the iPhone, and, and you, so things help help us to be able to see how far we've come as human beings, and then it helps set the goal, or one vision spurs the next vision, which spurs the next vision. So that's how I uh, see it. And it's an ever flowing, ever evolving movement forward um yeah so this is colleen uh, that's a very deep question for a saturday afternoon <laughs> <laughs> in front of the coffee bean and tea leaf but i have to say that honestly um if i were to say right now what it is it would be observation and awareness th- th- those two things i think are are critical to Instead of trying to force meaning out of it, there's a little bit of observation and awareness in taking meaning from it. What's your answer to the meaning of life? Is there an answer to the meaning of life? Is there a meaning? Let us know by using the hashtag TellAgileCoffee and join the conversation. So again, thanks for humoring me with that question. Uh, very important topic. So deep, so deep, but yet so timely. Our next card just says Agile Community. Larry, you put this up here and you wrote, uh, benefits, is it worth the time? So why don't you dive deeper into what does Agile Community mean? Yeah, it takes off, I guess, on the 42 question a bit <laughs> about the people thing. I, I'm, um, also in the, uh, PMI community to some extent. I hang out at, uh, at the breakfast club every once in a while and it's a great, great group of people and just interacting with them helps, uh, my professional understanding the agile community i see is almost it's different it's a lot deeper it's a lot more personal and that was the thing that was when i first got exposed to the agile community it hit me so impressed me so much it's not so much a strictly organized thing that just exists and goes on and on it's a bunch of people who just are passionate about this thing called agile and we sit down we talk about it we exchange ideas and we learn and we grow so i've I've really learned a lot from this community and would never want to exchange it for anything. Uh, so this is Brett. One of the observations that I've had is when I go to PMI dinner meetings, it's all about, um, you know, PMI 
folks generally, I'm going to generalize here, it's kind of like I show up for dinner, what's in it for me, how can I get uh, my network expanded, uh, who can I network with to help get a job, and it seems very focused on me, 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 whereas when I go to Agile um, conferences or Agile groups, it's all about how can we change organizations, how can we prove others, how can we lift and inspire and help our organizations expand and grow and create a better working environment for all of our employees. And so I feel like the overall um, conversation is very different uh, with the Agile community as opposed to more of a traditional PMI community. I, I would fully agree. Yeah, and I'm willing to go on record for that. <laughs> I stand behind what I just said. <laughs> I think this community is at the crux of change. Yes. And um, what really makes it wonderful is I was thinking about the irony of the fact that Agile came from the technology community originally, right, to deploy software. And there's sort of this... Um, really cool cachet with companies like Google and Facebook and we think of them as agile and everything and then now I'm working for a wonderful but very traditional company and I think about the fact that maybe we've just come full circle with a new twist I mean surely the speed to market and all those things are definitely relevant for agile that I think are new innovations in how you deploy and deliver software but when I look back and, and the company I'm at right now which I'll say is Pacific Life it it's, has so many things about old school companies that I wouldn't ever want to lose. And the concern for people is paramount. I've never seen an executive leadership team care so much about the people. And so I was thinking, okay, how do you start to blend this kind of new and snazzy, innovative technology company world where you're deploying fast with traditional beliefs about caring for human beings and understanding that people are a part of change and having a relative degree of patience to move people along the curve. So, I mean, I think this community, when it comes together, we are at the intersection of all that. Yes. Yeah. Um, plus one to everything that you guys have said so far. Um, for me, the Agile community is really when my, when the learnings that I've when my agile learnings really kicked into gear um you know before that i was book learning or learning on the job you know maybe through my own experience or possibly with a um like a pair a mentor here and there but really it wasn't until i got involved with the community that i started offering new ideas and testing out ideas and getting feedback on ideas or or hearing about just something just totally off the wall that i never would have considered it might not have come up in a book because now it's in real time with real people um so for me the agile community is all about learning mm -hmm. and um even though it might have started off as a i was maybe at first taking more from the community now it feels like giving is just as important as taking uh which is which is really fulfilling in many different ways yeah. i was going to add on top of it i i just thought of the word that i think describes us we're change agents yeah, and good. um that's the part that makes me feel so passionate about the community is that it's about being a part of it but like you said the giving is so joyful you know the giving and the helping that that's the part that i i love i like the fact that um here we are four of us sitting around a table in front of a coffee shop in irvine um in the great outdoors and yet we're a community just yeah, just exactly. here um and then anything that makes its way through these microphones onto the recorder and then ultimately up into um, the iTunes library of podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you're finding this. Um, now you can join the community as well as listeners 
Um, you can then reach out to us on Twitter and become part of the conversation. And again, that is itself a community. So I guess what I'm going to ask you, Larry, since you wrote the card is, um, what's your definition of community? That's a really good question. Um, it's a group of people, the way I see it, that have a common interest and have embraced a common vision. And the vision here would be that we want to be change agents, just like you said. We want, if you look at business in a traditional sense, and this is, and, and project management has been around since the turn of the last century, and, and it got stuck, and it was, it just, projects weren't being done on time, they were over budget, it was a big mess, and all of a sudden, out of this agile community, answers are starting to come. Changes are coming. It's more people-focused than it's been before. Uh, it's really very interesting. So the whole point is, I believe that this is all about change. It's all about people embracing a common vision that we believe we can use this framework to change ourselves and change our work environments and help our company succeed. So, Brett, you and I have known each other for a couple of years now, and it was through the community where we got introduced, I think, the first interaction we had was on the way down to Diana Larson's uh, retrospective workshop. But if I can ask you to think back to even before then, like what was your involvement with the community or rather maybe what was your awareness of the community? Because as we know now, it's existed long before we came a part of it. But what was your maybe impression? It It was a very different perspective because I only knew at that point what I had experienced, right? And so as I've gone to more events and workshops and met new people, my um, my awareness of all the different things that are happening within the larger community, even the events that I don't go to, at least I know about them. And then for whatever reason, I can't go to them, but at least I know about them. And then I realize how massive the community is. But my awareness of it was just, you know... Um, very limit, more limited than, than is certainly now. I'm aware of events that are taking place even in Canada and other parts of the, the world, but I, you know, but, but, but that awareness wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't part of myself a few years ago. I'm going to keep asking questions. You've got a few other questions on here. You've got benefits. Is it worth the time? Let me, let me ask Colleen. What do you think are the biggest benefits of the community? And then the other side of that, are there any, maybe anyone can jump into this, are there any dark sides to a community? Because, Larry, you put, is it worth the time? And I'm wondering if there's anything that we can say that implies that it's not worth the time. But I don't know. What do you think? What are, what are the Some key the, benefits? The yeah. benefits? Um, well, I was going to add on to what Larry was saying. I think it's not just about common values and common interests, but I think common urgency, right? We're still, <laughs> if you go back to the original philosophy of, the sprinting, delivering increments, right? And that common urgency to get things done is certainly what motivates me in the community. So, um, you know, I'm still learning about different aspects of the community, but I definitely think the common urgency is one of the key factors. We're stronger together. That's something that really impresses me. Like uh, the, the wisdom of crowds, you know, the book that we talked about in a past podcasts it just comes back we are stronger when we're together and there's no and there's no 
there's no way of replacing that. It's interesting. The old, uh, the old philosophy behind project management was that you have managers, and these guys are professionals. These guys are actually, in the original sense, they were better genetically than the workers. And now here we are. We've come to this, this agile evolution, if you will, where we're setting together and everybody's opinion matters. Not only that, but the people who do the work, their opinion matters the most. This is, this is revolutionary stuff. And this is something that's going to help us become better, better people and better companies. And one of the things that I noticed when I first started to get involved in the Agile community is I felt a sense of relief, uh, like, oh my gosh, here are like-minded people now that I've experienced and have gone through some of the same challenges that I'm going through, and wow, they actually have some good advice for me that I can apply tomorrow at my job, and so it's like, wow, you know, it was, it was certainly, uh, I certainly benefited from it, I'm not saying it was all give, 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 but, but in, in my participating and showing up, as part of that conversation, I was able to contribute, but then I was able to learn and grow from that um, interchange. And so, to, to Larry's point, it is all about, you know, this community of coming together and um, seeing each other as peers have answers for each other's problems. And, and I think that's very different than the traditional... Um, old school management styles where the answers came from leadership and now we're saying well no answers are coming from the team and that QA tester has some answers and even the little guy way down far on the totem pole he's got answers and his input is valid. I think um, you you both raised some really good points and uh, one of the things that I think really stands out is sort of ways of helping us not be so egotistical, right? Yeah, that's good. And um, when, when I talked to my husband, actually, he is in the process now of trying to start his own company. And he says, one key value that I definitely want to have is there is no such thing as the smartest guy in the room. You know, um, you can't be a jerk <laughs> about it, even if you're brilliant. And I, and I think, um, you know, not to say management or smart people are jerks, but but the point is that we have to value different types of contribution and, and diversity of contribution. I think that's um, what is part of this whole evolution with Agile. To answer my own question there, I'd say that it's definitely worth the time. It was almost a trick question. Yes, any time, anybody that's listening to this podcast, if you have time... If you think you have time to get involved in an agile community, then do it. It'll it'll benefit so much and, that you and, will and never stop. Talking even if about you it. don't think it's worth the time, and I would agree with that, Larry. Uh, not only is it worth the time, but even if you sense that, well, gosh, I didn't get an immediate benefit. Like maybe maybe your answers weren't answered right away. Um, I find that um, oftentimes, even within a few months, that effort um, will have paid itself back. In, in fact, you learn things. Maybe even uh, that you aren't even aware that you're learning or you're hearing things subconsciously that's entering your mind that you're not and you're putting together different connections. You're not even aware that it's going on until one day you find yourself just saying all these things. You're like, wait a minute, wait, what? Who just said all that? And it's just because you've now integrated it into yourself and that's now the new way that you've become. And so it's you've woven it into who you are. And so it's kind of funny yeah. at the beginning we were talking about um, just the political circus recently with the elections, which we, we don't have to go into. But, 
You know, one thing that is very clear, we have a very um, sick country right now that's highly politically divided, and people are divided in a way that's very unhealthy. And I see, you know, the Agile community as one of the core communities that can help some of re-engaging diversity, right? That's very and, good. And, and I think that is the part that it's almost like and the analogy of the way public schools used to be, like there wasn't this sense of extremely wealthy kids going to private school separated from public school kids, right? Um, and I remember in public school, you know, there was just a representation from all segments of society and how valuable that lesson is and the lessons of tolerance all come out of that diversity. Whereas as we've grown into a country that's very polarized, you don't see as much of that. I mean, a lot of Kids these days who might grow up in affluent communities like Orange County are completely sheltered um, from things that maybe they should see a little bit of. So I just want to tie it up and, and move on to the last, uh, the next card. Um, but what I wanted to just say to anyone out there is to let us know what your community looks like. Is it a, a local community uh, in and around um, in and around just a business, uh, a neighborhood? Um, does it span multiple cities? Uh, you know, what's your community? Is it virtual at all? Um, share that with us on Twitter. Reach out to us using the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. Our next card, Colleen, is yours. It says yoga and leadership. Yes. Well, of course, this came up in a side conversation we were having before we started the official recording. Um, I was recommending yoga studios to all these fine gentlemen here, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> Only because, but, but in all seriousness, um, we are talking about leadership, servant leadership, and how I've grown the most. And, you know, I've had a wonderfully fortunate life, and I've had a lot of corporate training, been sent to management training, and all the best training that you could get, all the best education. But, you know, I think of all um, influential people in my life, my yoga teachers have been very, very key. So um, one thing I thought I would start off doing is just reading a quote from BKS Iyengar. He um, is a 20th century um, yoga practitioner that recently passed away. Sensitivity is not weakness or vulnerability. It is clarity of perception and allows judicious, precise action. So, um, you know, that's the kind of insight that uh, as I've studied yoga, which is more than doing headstands and handstands, um, this is a podcast, otherwise I would demo some of that as well. <laughs> but um, other than doing that, you know, it's really the philosophical underpinnings. Um, I think yoga practitioners make it very clear yoga is not a religion. It is a practice for self-improvement and you reach and attain your different levels of, of being. So the yoga system, you know, it's, it's, some people may, may think of it as may, maybe a little corny, but, uh, that they believe that we have eight bodies, you know, um, and there's the physical body, the spiritual body, the intellectual body. It's just layers of the self. I mean, whatever you want to call it. And so the practice of yoga is designed to first teach you how to calm your mind and your body through the physical asana. Asana are the forms of yoga. Um, when you do a headstand, it is basically an asana. But the idea is in order to train yourself to reach the higher levels of your being, of those eight bodies, you have to first train the physical body. So there's a lot of the philosophy in there. I think um, I've just learned so much about introspection and awareness and sensitivity toward others. Um, I wrote an article on LinkedIn probably about a year ago about adjustment, you know, and I thought about when coaches speak about adjustment, 
uh, or, or correction or helping the team. I want it very much to feel like the way a good yoga teacher adjusts you in a position. It's very gentle yet firm. And I think that is just that feeling uh, and that analogy has really helped, um, has helped me at least really try to strive for that perfect balance between being firm and being gentle. Great. Um, you know that quote, and, and we'll put the quote up on the website, uh, so go to agilecoffee.com slash episode 42, and you'll see not only the, the quote that Colleen shared, but uh, hopefully a link to the article that you put on LinkedIn. We'll have that up there as well. But something in the quote you had mentioned, um, um, maybe you can you can read it again if, if I misquote it, but something to the effect that that one of the goals is actually clarity. That we're 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 trying to seek clarity from is it sensitivity? Yes, right? it's it's clarity of perception and allows judicious, precise action. Which is which is fundamental to a lot of what we're talking about in agile. When we talk about um, teams having success, uh, Michael Kottmeyer not too long ago wrote, wrote an article and uh, about successful teams. And one of the points um, having to do with uh, that was was clarity and and how um, teams really need that and 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 highly. Uh, High-functioning teams are always seeking that that clarity, and like he doesn't go into yoga in in his uh, article there, but but he does talk about the fact that they're always getting feedback. The feedback loops are very short. They're trying to ask of their customer, of their product owner, um, uh, to always be refining the requirements and and giving feedback on what it is they're they've done. They they need to be. Um, shared into that vision as well. So, so clarity is very fundamental there. Yep. Um, I think there's a couple dimensions on clarity too, and, and they, they could relate to Agile as well. You know, when we talk about it in the software development context of get, getting clear requirements and good code or, or whatever, you know, that's, that's very analytical. But if you think about it, the type of clarity that Iyengar is talking about too is emotional clarity, right? And so that comes, um, through wisdom, introspection, discipline, hard work, and, and I think all those things are very reflective in the agile community values. I've been meditating, and I'm not a I'm not a a very disciplined meditator at this point. But whenever I do um, sit in a quiet place, when I'm fortunate enough to sit in a quiet place and kind of get in touch with my breathing and and try to release the thoughts from my mind, um, it gives me a little bit more focus throughout the day and I've realized now that if I enter into a, a highly charged situation something with a bit of stress um, it's really very uh, useful for me to take a couple of breaths and just kind of center myself there so um, so I'm very interested in pursuing more more meditative practices and uh, I haven't ventured out into yoga yet but I think that that might be uh, that might be interesting as well. As you say, there's the different layers of the self, and the body is certainly uh, wrapped up in that. I, I also wanted to offer another thing, and I, I put it on the card, which is uh, the notion of detachment. It's called pratyahara in, in yoga, and it is detachment from the results. And I thought that would be a very nice topic to talk about with Agile, because in the process of continuous improvement, right, you want to allow for failure and create an emotional comfort zone so that people can fail and, and feel like they can recover from it. And so when I look at Pratyahara in the context of the corporate world, I say to myself, I'm willing to take risks and experiment with the team I have and be a little detached if it doesn't work out the way I think it should work out. So 
just just a little. That's really there. interesting because I see that that um, and I and I agree with that. That's a very interesting um, perspective because I feel like a lot of times you have corporate leadership will say, "Okay, we're going to do this agile thing because we want to get results, 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 and we want." faster speed to market and we want you know all of these benefits and of course we want it for free we don't want to actually <laughs> actually have to work for it but then so so they're not detached they're not coming out of a place where they're gonna allow the space for failure through that continuous improvement they are very much tied to let's do agile so we can get the benefits or they'll be reluctant to do agile with the idea that, well, yeah, we'll only allow you to do so much agile as far as the little results that you can show us. Show me that it works first and then I'll be more buy, I'll buy into it more. And so you have sometimes that kind of like, as, yeah, I go try that little scrum thing and then I'll give you more of my heart into it as you show me that it can, can work. And so I find that is, typically the attitude that I have that I, I walk into or that I experience and so that's very different than the approach that you're you're talking about Colleen where where people are given the space to just completely be free and yeah. and, and I think th- th- there's a balance because yeah. we're not saying you know fail all the time and make no, the company go under obviously right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. but I mean but I but, think the yeah. art of yoga is when you when it doesn't work out right, you detach yeah. yourself momentarily and try again. Yeah. And I think that that's that's the healthy way of looking yeah. at the pratyahara. How are we doing? All right, moving on. We've got uh, the next card. I believe Brett, this is yours. It says funding agile teams. Oh, this is a big one. So, um, yeah. So that's one of the things that I'm, you know, working through right now. Is so we've got um, a program that I'm uh, involved with and uh, there's been an initial round of funding but I wanted to just kind of you know ask you guys how you are you know your your companies are approaching funding the way that um, traditionally I, I feel like sometimes our agile processes are happening underneath a waterfall umbrella right so there's this very much a stage gated process by which some visionary has this idea they'll talk to an architect or two they'll get some high level um, solution component based solutions drawn up on a back of a paper napkin and they'll attach some dates and milestones and they'll they'll grasp in the air and pull out five million dollars out of their hat and that's what's funded and now suddenly you know now we're going to run agile underneath that Umbrella, and I know things like um, scaled agile framework are trying to shift that uh, approach somewhat into more funding the teams and trusting that the teams are always going to be working on the highest value. And so, if you uh, fund the team and you know your burn rate of your team and you're always trusting that your team is working on the most productive thing, then then you're good. But that's not the real world because you can't have that pool built in your backyard with this idea of, oh, I'm just going to let them build whatever. And so there's that balance. And so I wanted to just write that up as a topic today for us to kind of talk about and see what your thoughts were. You know, as you mentioned, uh, Brett, uh, I did this, I did a model one yeah. time for a contract that I had. And I could tell you basically how much each story point would cost based on our current uh, velocity and 
and that helped a lot. We did um, a user story map, and, and then each little posted on the user story map represented at a higher level at least X amount of story points, and so we could have yeah. based our budget on that. Now, that was a model I created, but not one that we could actually implement. And the, the company I'm working for now, contracting with now, is huge, and they do exactly as you right. said. Uh, it's, I have to say I'm impressed. Uh, it's 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 driven usually by by um, end user or the customer need. These guys are a big company, but boy, if it, they get a sense that the customer wants something, all bets are off. They'll they'll just get it done. But they they it's a huge, mm-hmm. mag, huge waterfall process that happens around us. And then finally, when it comes down to right. the team, we're agile. We can get it done so pretty quick. So you're agile underneath a waterfall umbrella. Definitely, yeah. it, it's difficult, but it works. Yeah. I I think that that's going to be a hard pattern to break, largely because corporate budget cycles are annual. And, you know, even if you have good vision and corporate strategy, it's very hard to decompose strategy into executable pieces that you could then sort of estimate and guarantee, you know, what kind of outcome you'd get out of it. Um, That's going to be hard to break, not only because it's the way companies typically now allocate budgets but it's also unfortunately kind of one of the ways that i think capitalism plays mm, out right um i was sort of thinking that of this in regard to the fact that um my husband being involved in the startup community here in orange county you know there seems to be always this push to be be a venture capitalist right and so as you um as you grow the idea is to sell out eventually and 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 um go to market that way through through public funding. And when you look at the 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 way public companies work, they all work on this kind of notion of accelerating profit that is linear and always scaling up. So with that, I I I've always tried to put together how can you then how can you're always going to have the executives asking, how does this translate into shareholder value? And I think that's where we're stuck. I, I, I can't solve, I'm not a brilliant economist. I, I don't know, but I think that's one of the big reasons why it's really hard to get the square peg in the round hole, you know. I think maybe that's part of the problem and, and, and it's quite obvious, right? If you're, if you're focusing on shareholder value, I believe as is very popular, Miss the point. The point is, how can we get a valuable product to the market the customers love? And shareholder value will increase as we we hit yeah. that mark. Well, but I, I agree. It's yeah. See, the, see, because and that's the dysfunction of the consumer-driven economy is that always scaling up, right? And so a lot of the the revolution that I, the agile revolution I actually see are with the communities like the slow money community. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it it sort of caps off. A profit at a steady, continuous, sustainable pace so that basically society can fulfill its needs, right? So if you translate that into real terms, it would basically say we would all get three to four percent return on investment consistently and it wouldn't be more than that, which is a little bit socialistic sounding, which I'm sure turns off most capitalists. But if you really look at um, a lot of the underpinnings of it, how else are we going to be able to scale a healthy society? I haven't been able to 
think of another way to do it when you have this model that continues to escalate in um, value because that's all just basically math right it's just it's it's funny math when, when you think about it when really the underpinnings of any economy fundamentally are agriculture and all those things that really give us life right and the value of a service it's going to hit a plateau no matter what how value can how valuable can any asset be and if you're lucky, it only plateaus, right? Yeah. And doesn't uh, start to plummet immediately also. Um, are we, uh, how are we doing on, on your topic? Are, we've kind of gone That's around. Fine. That's yeah. fine. Sorry. No, okay. I, I took it way out. No, <laughs> no it's okay. It's That's great. Okay. I, I wondered if you I don't have to give you like, the last word. I don't word have anything to... else I need to say about it. No last word. Okay. I have no revelation other than it's an ongoing discovery. I think yeah. so, too. We need to bring that one back, because yeah. I'm trying to figure that out, too. Yeah, I think everybody's trying to figure it out. Let's ask our audience to help bring it back as well. So next time around, what do you want us to say about funding Agile teams? Uh, share us your stories. Yeah. Use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. We've got one last card for today, uh, Discovering the Pace of Change. Larry, this is yours. This is a hard one, and it's more of a question than than a whole bunch of comments I can make on this. Is uh, Discovering the Pace of Change, I'm... I've, for the last two contracts I've had, one of the either direct or indirect responsibilities I had was to help introduce teams to to um, to agile values and, and the processes and so on. And that's and I I do have a a weakness that I think anyone would probably that knows me would be able to recognize that I find something I'm very passionate about it and man I'm ready to go today. I mean, yesterday even. Let's just get this thing on the road. But you just are not going to bring a team along that way. And so this is my, this is my uh, growth point or whatever it is. How do I find that pace? I, I, I actually have some thoughts about that. So I think um, your or, or somebody's or a company's ability to change is proportional to the amount of uncertainty it's willing to. Uh, hold and so um, I might be able to create a lot of change for myself because I have a lot of uncertainty you know and so um, but but I'm okay with that whereas some people more are, are risk averse they can't handle a lot of risk and they don't want like uh, a lot of uncertainty and they like things to go a certain way and so those types of individuals or companies are going to be less um, less uh, fast to change they're going to be slower to change so uh, because they can't handle that uncertainty. It's a function of size. I think of many things, right? Size, circumstances. Um, so if it's if it's just a team, a team's change versus a department's yeah. change versus an organization's change, um, I think that's all going to be different. Then, and then team to team. Every team is going to have a different like risk tolerance Uh Pain, top, pain threshold, right, to change. Um, if Team A recognizes that um, a change needs to happen, but it'd be great if it would happen in Team B first, <laughs> they'd be all for the change happening, right? Yeah. Um, but then when it comes to them changing, uh, might might want to ease yeah, off, what's right? the punishment for not changing? Yeah, there you go. Does one team or have the, a stronger punishment for not changing fast enough? I, I think I think yeah. we have to respect definitely yeah. different paces of change yeah, yeah, because yeah. I was thinking about the fact that, you know, uh, for a company like Facebook or yeah. some kind of really fast mover, right? That that's all great, um, but for a company like Pacific Life, where we're dealing with people's retirement annuities and government yeah. regulation, 
you know, yeah. th- there's risk so involved. Industry you're, yeah, industry. Is you're not. Yeah. You're not going to want to just like tear it out. Like I, right. I, I wouldn't. I would hate to see people's annuities no longer work for them. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it when when the interface to my apps changes. It's like, come on, <laughs> give me the old classic way. Uh, I'm getting old, I guess. Maybe uh, maybe with age, your your uh, pace of change tends to slow as well. I know that um, when you work in an office, uh, a mixed generation office, you've got some people who may have been in that role for years and years, and then you have new people fresh out of college. I think then you're talking about within a team. I think Gartner is it Gartner? What one of the the big think tanks it talks now about bimodal IT? I don't know if you guys have heard about that, but it, it it's basically this notion that every corporation that's healthy has samurais and ninjas, oh, right? Nice. And um, I think that's we have to go in this direction. I mean. It, to, to get to a place where there is a truly cross-generational workforce that we recognize and appreciate the different values that people bring is, is really where I'd like to see the majority of corporations head. Because let's face it, the majority of us are not a pure Gen Y right. <laughs> company, right? And, and, and we have to be cognizant of the different generations and the varying paces of change. Yeah. I mean, day to day, uh, my proclivity to change changes right um it's, uh heraclitus said uh, you can never step in the same river twice you can think about it you've never can never step in the same river once i mean once you put your toe in the river it's changed already so um change is the only constant that we have uh it's just what is that pace of change I have a question about the ninjas and the, uh, yeah, the samurais. Uh, samurais. What, what, what did they? Uh, what's the, what's the difference between the two? Um, well, the idea is, uh, you know, sort of steady versus nimble, and, and yeah. so many companies are struggling with how to, for instance, transform legacy technology in a way that is sustainable. I mean, ours would definitely fall in that category. You've got a mix of platforms, from the mainframe stack to the web stack, right? And you know, most of the heavy processing still occurs in the mainframe stack, and so then the next level that I think I think Gartner, if I'm not correct, it's, it's one of the big consulting firms. But what they talk about is how do you move the change, but still kind of respect the different it's a kinds of employees you have. Process. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Batch pra- pra- process. I know. I know. From the mainframe into the yeah. I know. It's 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 very <laughs> interesting. It, it's it's yeah. Samurai. Samurai. IBM Samurai. And good luck finding good good luck finding main, mainframe programmers. You know. Oh yeah. Because yeah. Uh, you know it's a dying breed. It is. Know? It is. It is a dying breed now. The interesting way in which our company has addressed it is they have brought on young people from the business operations call center who have talent. So they see it as kind of a, an opportunity to move into technology. But I agree. It is it is something that and needs to be addressed. And those folks that are in charge of the mainframe, those, those folks, those old timers, and I'm using that in my air quotes here, but they can really hold a company hostage because they've got keys to the mainframe and that's where all of the processing and brain power is at you know um so it's uh, you know they they're when we talk about change they're going to be the least willing and people that want to be changing you know because they're threatened well, in their jobs. And if you, you know? honestly yeah. I, i'll add a little bit of a sympathetic yeah. twist to that but if you honestly think of trying to 
create continuous integration on a mainframe. Oh. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah, componentized in the same way. Know. And so, yeah. you know, it, it's almost like there you blah, blah, blah. You're speaking right. a totally different yeah. language. And so, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a very real challenge. And I think a lot of financial companies that still operate fundamentally on a mainframe, I, I, I don't know. This is the first mainframe shop I've worked in. So I don't know what is ultimately going to happen long term. But, you know. You just build yeah. around it. because You it do. Might, you do. Because, because it might exactly. be too difficult to get yeah. off of it. Yeah. And so. Well, we're, we're going to. We're going to. Port, I think the place it's going to become sort of the hotspot is interfaces, right? Oh, yeah. Because that, exactly. that's real. You're going to build this. Yeah. This interface layer where then you can port the web-based stuff up to the cloud and other things and then which are always limited based on the amount of communications in real time that you can have with that mainframe through whatever connection pooling that you've got or other kind of um, things that you can have connected to it all at once and so yeah, if, if any of you guys know about, like, how companies have converted uh, out, please let me know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that that's the direction yeah, we'll yeah, take immediately, right. but it's, like, it's it's not an enviable uh, situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, typically, we think that a lot of developers, whether you say they're younger developers or just developers in general, like the shiny object. They love to be... Yeah. Um, <laughs> Seduced by the new technology, the new project to work on, things like that. And, and Larry, I think you kicked off this topic by saying, hey, if there's something you're passionate about, you know, you might as well start it yesterday. (laughs) So how do we, and I think that that's, I think that that's a good thing, um, in general to have people that are willing to change and willing to get, get, uh, get their feet wet first before the rest. Um, and then there's also people who need to kind of take a step back and, and maybe hold back, maybe even resist change for a while. So how do you balance that out between people's on either people on a team or, or even groups of people in the same organization? Maybe talking about like senior management or, or a management layer versus who might be more risk averse versus, uh, someone in maybe a, a sales and marketing role or, or someone in a development or an R&D type role? When I, when I do this, I try to get into their heads and find out what what is it that's... I hate to say this, and this is not coming out properly, but I, I, I don't have the words for it. You know, what's holding them back? Uh, it, they are who they are. It, but you, if you find out kind of where they are, what their concerns are, um, what's, what their values are, I always find that in that situation, I'm, I'm trying to define in my head what's important to them. Why are they saying this? And I'm not saying it's good or bad. Who cares? It's not good or bad. It's just how they are. So fine. So what you do is um, it's almost like jumping on the train then. Their train is going at a different pace than yours. So you find out what their values are. You find out what's important to them. You find out what's, what, what they're maybe afraid of. Again, that's the bad word, afraid of. What they're and skeptical so the about. To, and the way to do that is through active listening. Uh, yes. Listening with an open mind, mm-hmm. not trying to prejudge what they're saying, but listening from a place of being completely... Uh, open and completely like hearing exactly what they're saying and just trying to understand and being completely empty to receiving everything that they're trying to to tell you. This you is know? exactly and it. Yeah. Acknowledge that you, yeah. you you're going to learn something yes. too right. from from everybody. You know. Yeah. Once you once you get a sense for this, then you can slow, if you will, your train to their pace, and then you're communicating, and then you're able to to change together but that is a huge challenge and just real quick assuming that you are the one who's 
kind of on the slower train to begin with, how do you how do you adapt to that that case? I don't know if I've ever really been on the slow train. Maybe I have. Um, what what uh, tactics can we use to to maybe get the the person in the fast lane to slow down? Slow down. Yeah. Is For that me, the question, though, or is it is it that? Yeah, my analogy is really kind of going off here. Um, no, no, I was just I was just thinking in that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't want to slow down the innovation, but it's a way of figuring out how to speed yourself. I don't know. (laughs) To add, uh, I think it was Colin Powell, I may have misquoted this, but uh, uh, to add speed, uh, you must add lightness. Mm. Yeah, there you go. Right? Yes. So um, maybe you need to strip yourself of old ways of thinking or attachments or something. That's a great, I love that quote. Yeah, the key, I believe, is what Brett said, is the listening part. Listen, listen, what, listen. Can you repeat? The, I didn't hear that. What? listening. Okay. The key was what Brett said. Any last words on this topic? All right. I think that brings us to the end of another really great episode. So I want to thank you all once again for joining me here. So... Around the table, that's Colleen Kirtland. Thank you, Colleen. You're very welcome. Larry Lawhead, thank you. Thank you. And Brett Palmer. Thank you. Thank you. Look at all this. We are all very thankful here today. <laughs> and thank I want to I I reach you, out and thank you, the listener, for being here with us again today. And uh want to remind you to enjoy your coffee with friends. <laughs>